0: Welcome to today's podcast on the impact of clinical management or nurse navigation programs that we can have on patients, on risks and costs, and eventually on stop loss premiums. We have Casey Billington from My Nurse Navigators and John Young from Prodigy Stop Loss to share their insights. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining at CAA, please visit our website at I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you're a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called ZakiPoint Health that helps self-insured employers and their employees find meaning from their healthcare data and from price transparency. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like-minded professionals. Before we begin, I would like to bring you a word from our sponsors Nokomis. Nokomis provides unique claim accountability services to payers. Nokomis is highly skilled and experienced team of reviewers coupled with a propriety best-in-class review engine allow them to achieve savings of nine percent or more with an appeal rate of less than one percent also look for nokomis's reinsurance and employer stop-loss product coming next year to learn more about nokomis visit com. today on your podcast you will learn what is the typical cost for a small self-insured employer for their stop-loss premiums, and the impact you can have on their premiums with a good nurse navigator program. And what does a good nurse navigator program look like? What does it do? How does it deliver impact? And where does it impact in terms of utilization at a patient level? And how do you ensure that you continuously get value from these kind of programs? And more a little bit about how do you know when things are working well between a nurse navigator program and a stop loss carrier who is relying on the data to really be able to have that impact on the stop loss premiums. And obviously what kind of data you need to share between the entities. So let's dig in. Hi Casey and John, really excited to have you today on Voices of Self Funding. This topic is quite dear to me, particularly around the nurse navigation and how you help the members but then how that kind of translates into impact on the employer. So, John, I'm also very excited to have you to bring that perspective from the stop-loss world and Casey from the world of nurse navigation, which is obviously a hot topic right now. Um, Rather than me kind of introduce uh, why our listeners should listen to you, why don't you tell our listeners, why should they listen to you when it comes to this topic? John, why don't you start first?
1: Well, from my perspective of stop-loss carriage, it really helps our clients impact the ongoing chronic cases right the high dollar month over month rx and treatment settings it helps them stabilize those costs to return the employee back to work or at least put the family unit back together
0: and casey how about you tell us a bit more about your background how that relates to the topic
2: I think that the reason that folks need to listen to this, and that this is an important topic that you've picked, Ramesh, and I appreciate the invite, is because doing nothing with the way that healthcare is currently structured has not really helped the American employee. When you're fully insured, it's rate increase after rate increase, and it's really taking all that money out of the employer's pocketbook that frankly, they can't afford right now, especially given the inflation rate that we currently have right now, where the cost of everything has gone up exponentially. So we have to do something differently if we want a different outcome.
0: So Casey, why don't we dig into this first? How does your nurse navigation program, case management program work? And then how does it work hand in hand with John's stop loss offering?
2: Sure. So my company, I, co-founded about three years ago now, and I'm a nurse by trade. I have spent my entire career in the field of solid organ transplant. Most recently before I got into this crazy insurance world that I knew nothing about at the time, I was running the quality department for a transplant institute in Cleveland, Ohio. So I have quality background and this weird transplant background. And when you're a transplant patient and you have organ failure... You automatically get assigned a multidisciplinary care team to take care of you. When I came into this side of healthcare, I realized that that's unique to transplant. And it isn't until your organs are failing that we surround you with this multidisciplinary care team to help guide and protect you through your healthcare journey to get you successfully to transplant. Well, if it works so well, why are we only doing it for that population? So I took a lot of the methodologies and practices that we use in the transplant world and brought them into this outpatient setting and on the insurance side to really help support members better before they get to the point where they're needing dialysis or a heart transplant or something like that that's costing employers, you know billions of dollars a year if does you hit your plan. So we use a lot of data and outreach and education to reach our members and to engage them actively and to make them more active participants in their healthcare journey. Mm -hmm. Employees and patients need to be empowered to get in the driver's seat and if not the driver's seat, at least in the navigator seat of the car. They need to be actively participating in where they're going. If they're just a passenger, that's where they're following all the guidance of their doctor. And well, the doctor said, I need this surgery. And now they say, I need this MRI. And you just keep going down the hall and it's costing employers tens of thousands of dollars because people don't know any different.
0: So effectively your program by bringing this coordinated kind of touch point, you are creating a balancing force for the doctors, i.e. if the doctor is over-prescribing certain care or even promoting their own in-network hospital system places of care, you are creating that balancing force. Is that what I'm kind of hearing using data?
2: Yes, and we're empowering people to ask the whys too. Ask their doctor more questions as opposed to just saying the doctor says that you need surgery and you just go, okay, Well, ask them why be empowered. And if you don't agree with the surgery, then you need to ask for more details or possibly get a second opinion. A recent example that we had was a member that had said that the doctor wanted to do two dialysis access surgeries at the same time. Neither of which was going to be able to be used for 30 days. They both had the same rate of maturity. They didn't want the permanent dialysis access to be placed. The member didn't. Um, But he said, the doctor told me I needed to. I said, well, why? He said, I don't know. That's Mm -hmm. what he told me. I said, well, did you tell him you didn't want that? He says, I didn't think I could tell him no. I said, well, you most certainly can tell him no, and you need to. If you don't agree with it and it's not what you want, then the doctor needs to provide you enough data to ensure that you understand why you need to have that second procedure done, or you ask him to only perform the one procedure. In the end, the provider couldn't give him enough information as to why he needed both procedures done at the same time. So he just had the one done. He's doing marvelously. Now we're 60 days maybe 90 days post-surgery now. And he's doing marvelously and he only has the one access, which has matured fine and that's the one he'll be using.
0: So, so let's maybe separate the two topics here. One is obviously how you're using the plan and other kind of incentive structure to have a member participate in this navigation. The other point is in that scenario, the doctor is saying two whatever procedures. how do you help that member to have that because it's a critical care to kind of question the doctor, the doctors have been known and we see them as a bastions of care taking care for us. How do you enable this patient to actually have that conversation? What do you do?
2: So we provide them education on the procedures that they're having. There's different academies and different societies for every division of medicine out there. And so we will provide them with some best practices that is readily published, people just don't necessarily know where to look for it. And then we prompt them with questions. And once they realize that they don't have the answers to the questions that seem rather simplistic, that they should have answers to, they are like, yeah, that's a good point. I should ask the doctor that you know what? He didn't tell me that. I don't know why. And it's not because the docs are bad docs or that they're, they're trying to necessarily always overcharge or do extra procedures, Quite frankly, they don't have enough time with the patients. So they're rushing through and they don't realize that the patient doesn't really understand everything it is that they're saying. When the member went back and talked to the provider again, the provider was happy to answer all the questions. It was just in the end, the member felt like it was best for him to only undergo the one procedure at the time and in the end the provider agreed
0: and so this must happen millions of times so it's not like one isolated event we are seeing this kind of navigation is helping those each decision at a time turning those decisions at a time
2: yes very much so i mean it's anything from a child that maybe has chronic ear infections and it might be one recommendation of an ENT doc for the parents, but maybe they don't understand. And so it might be a second opinion to see if there's a different treatment modality instead of surgery, but that's the quick fix is surgery. It could be something like a orthopedic surgery. We encourage every member to get a second opinion for spine surgeries. That's a big deal you get develop a lot of scar tissue at times from spine surgeries you don't want to make a mistake there so we encourage our members to get second opinions to know what they should be asking their doctors how to talk to the doctor and prepare them before they go in for their
0: appointments so you describe a number of these very useful scenarios surgery related where you are getting a second opinion where else are you seeing? So let's say just getting an additional MRI, do you get involved in those types of scenarios with the patient?
2: Yep, yeah, we help the members navigate to low-cost, high-quality imaging facilities where it's feasible for them. We have groups primarily up and down the East Coast, a little bit into Texas. And so some places are very rural. And so there may not be a lot of options in terms of imaging locations, but we try to help them navigate to the highest quality, lowest cost facility uh, that is appropriate for them.
1: So you
0: use that data as well around the cost and quality for that navigation.
2: That's correct. There's some facilities have published data. Other ones we have access to via other routes in terms of the cost of the images. But typically it's the cheapest cost is not going to be inside the hospital facility.
0: What additional data are you using to really help that member and provide that advocacy for them?
2: So we subscribe to two different data analytic platforms. One is strictly CMS data. The other is commercial and Medicare data that helps us determine the quality of the provider. They treat certain disease states and at what volume they treat that disease state. So is this a surgeon that performs 30 spinal surgeries a quarter, or is this a surgeon that performs 140 a quarter? That's what we want to know, because if it's me, I'm going to probably aim towards the guy that's doing 140 of them a quarter. There's something to be said. We also have outcomes data. So what is their complication rate? What's their infection rate? Things like that, that help us determine the highest quality providers. So kind
0: of switching into the second bigger topic around the incentive, the design and making sure, John, I want to just bring you into this conversation. First of all, if you could tell us what does it a 250 employee life, let's say, a manufacturing company in Ohio on a $100,000 individual spec level, what is the typical cost for, let's say, stop loss? And how do you incentivize, Casey or John, whoever can best answer this, incentivize the member as well? So cost and approach to incentivizing members.
1: So from a stop loss perspective, a typical premium, depending on your enrollment, right, employee only in the demographic mix—you'd be looking on the low side, probably four hundred seventy-five thousand a year for a specific premium, and as much as six hundred and fifty thousand a year. Um, the aggregate attachment point would probably be two point eight million to three point eight, maybe even four million, again depending on your demographic mix. Well, what we do as a as a reinsurer is we look at the vendors that the employers are attaching to. and Quite frankly, in many cases, we encourage the TPAs to talk to Casey and her team. And other vendors specific to controlling cost of these high dollar exposures. There are a number of things that take place in this. If we can reduce that exposure, we can buy down that rate. And I think Casey mentioned 3 to 7%, which is pretty much what we would do as well on the spec premium. So if you're thinking a half a million for round numbers, 7% gets to be an adult number, but not always significant. It might be to the employer, but the employee doesn't have an engagement at that level, right? So what we've done is we've encouraged uh, new plan document language to be crafted with carrots and sticks. So a carrot might be, we're buying down your individual's deductible, your office copay, your treatment copayments, your out of pocket amount. Maybe it's free to you to go get this care as long as Casey and team are fully engaged and you're following the rules that they've set forth. Uh, that's significant, right? That's a great carrot. On the other side of that, there's a stick. We have some employer groups that say, if you don't use these tools, you don't have benefits, or there's a a financial penalty to you as the patient. Too often we've seen where a patient will just go to their doctor and their doctor will direct care. I think Casey brought up a great example, the back surgeon, 140 a quarter versus 20 or 15 a quarter. From recent personal experience, Casey's team helped me, coach me through this on my own back surgery. We had a patient a year and a half ago who wanted to use their surgeon for a transplant. The surgeon does a couple of these a year. We tried to encourage this patient to go to a center of excellence directed by concierge case management. Right? We want to do this right. We want the best outcome for the patient. Well, at the same time, we would like to have some impact on the cost of the plan. The patient chose their local physician. And the cost was negotiated, and it came out fine from a a risk perspective, but the patient had longer complications. The, The recovery time was not as short as we would have expected with the appropriate setting and the right surgical team that is constantly, daily engaged in these kinds of treatment procedures. So there are some other cost impacts for us, right? We have been able to buy down deductibles as an industry We're not the only ones that do this, right? to Casey's point, there are a whole host of us out here that really want to support the navigation tools that Casey and and her industry bring to to bear. Um, Those might be a $100,000 deductible if a patient is fully engaged, according to Casey's team. That goes down to $75,000 for that one patient. So the employer has an incentive as well, right, to get that patient engaged let me make
0: sure i understood this correctly so taking that example first of all the member will pay for those places of care if they are engaged with casey's program zero deductible at a member level yes and then for the employer the deductions will also come down if they use your program the way you are proposing from a hundred thousand dollar deductible to a seventy five thousand dollar individual level deductible
1: for that one patient yes
0: wow okay that's huge Uh, both kind of employer and the And then what I also heard on top of that, the costs for the premium could actually come down up to 7%. Correct.
1: And if you're looking at some of the other elements, Casey's talked a bit about surgical events, dialysis, avoidance, or not avoidance necessarily, but appropriate setting. We have chronic disease states today that are very expensive. They're, what, Casey, 100000 to a quarter million a year in some situations. If we have a $100,000 deductible and we have a patient that routinely is at $200,000, but with proper patient engagement, compliance with treatment protocols, that patient be treated for eighty-five dollars to $100,000, we can make a laser on that individual go away. So what a laser is, is essentially it's a separate specific deductible targeted at that one patient because of their disease state and claim cost. We can take that from $200,000 down to the normal amount with the rest of the organization, We've just taken $100,000 of risk exposure off of that employer group, right? Plus, we've, by the way, already given a 7% discount on the premium. So you start layering all of these savings to the plan, which also impact the contribution at the plan member level. If the plan costs go up because of unmanaged care, that's got to be divided equally across all employees through contributions by putting some of these tools in place, we're able to buy down that exposure and stabilize the cost for each and every member of that employer organization.
0: Casey, anything to add to this as we describe this incentives to the overall savings?
2: Yeah, when we have members um, and we waive their deductible and their co-insurance, it's a huge deal for them. That's a good bit of the way that we drive member engagement. And so we're able to see 50% engagement after the first year with groups. And that's not the nurse calling and leaving a voicemail. It's the nurse speaking with a member of the household that's on the healthcare care plan um, and having interaction with them, either because the nurse reached out or because the member reached out to the nurse. Having an assigned nurse for each employer group, that's huge. They know who the nurse is. When they're able to engage and save their deductible and co-insurance, that's more money that they're able to keep in their pocketbook. For these employees that are making thirty dollars to $40,000 a year with a $5,000 deductible, it's almost like not having insurance. So being able to have your deductible and your co-insurance waived and knowing that you're still getting steered to high-quality care, just not the cheapest care, it's high-quality, That's really meaningful. That helps with employee satisfaction and and employer retention. And right now with the way the job market is, that's a big deal for employers.
1: Ramesh, let me ask something here. One of the reasons Loss gives Casey's team such a deep discount and impact on our deductibles is because how they engage the patient. It'd be really great to hear how they engage that patient early on in the process. Because quite frankly, we deal with a lot of case management companies, and quite frankly, we get dismal, or at least not necessarily effective results. We'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah, so Casey,
2: what's the magic here? How are you getting 50%? We visit our employees on site. Their place of employment, typically every year COVID thrown things off a little bit because some groups still are not having outside folks in to visit. But for the vast majority of our groups, we visit them annually on site. We hold meetings with the employees and we invite spouses if they're able to come because if it's a male dominated workforce, typically the wives are at home making the decision. So they need to hear this because the material doesn't always make it back home. And the meetings we hold, we have about 10 to 20 folks in each of the meeting groups so that it's a small enough group that you feel comfortable asking questions, but big enough that you don't feel like you're getting singled out. And we spend about 40 minutes with folks and then we hang around afterwards so that people can have one-on-one conversations with their nurse. And they realize that it's a real human that actually genuinely cares about them. And they've never had that before. So this is a new experience and they're willing to give it a go and start to trust. And sometimes it's just because they need lab work, right? And so they're calling the nurse and they're like, hey, can you waive my deductible for my labs? And yes, sure, here, go here. That's a great first start because then as you start to build that trust in that relationship, they start to call you for the bigger, more complex things. And that's Mm -hmm. what we really want. We're not gonna save a million dollars a year just on lab work, right? We've got to move the needle in bigger directions. But if we start to build that trust, with members then they'll call for all the bigger things
0: so you bring those nurses who are going to work with these members to uh, on-site locations so it's the same nurse navigator they're seeing face to face in the beginning that they are having that relationship with that's correct that's great that's great so that personalization trust development is key and to kind of go to that Complicated kind of issues. What are some of the challenges that you are seeing as you try to either scale this or to deliver this level of impact to other companies?
2: Yeah. I would say the current situation with healthcare and the nursing wages and just overall hospital compensation has been a bit challenging as of late. There's been a few articles published recently in the Wall Street Journal talking about nursing salaries that have gone up exponentially over the last 12 to 24 months in Ohio. The average starting nursing salary, so right out of nursing school with potentially a two year degree, is about 65000 a year plus benefits hmm. that puts that nurse at with an all in compensation packages of about hundred K a year. That's a brand new nurse. I would say that's a bit challenging. There's definitely nurses that are looking to get out of a hospital setting. So that's been helpful because hmm. people are getting burned out. I think ensuring that the HR folks understand the program and understand how their insurance plan really works. Self-funded is different, and not all HR directors have a lot of experience with self-funded plans. So making sure that they really understand the benefits that their employees have. Available to them and their willingness to have us provide education to the employees, that's key. I found that HR directors that aren't as engaged in the healthcare plan, it's just a little bit more of a hurdle to overcome.
0: So, kind of communication, education, helping HR teams understand the program, the structure, the incentives, and then obviously, how do you scale with the salaries that you have? John, how about from your lens? What are some of the challenges that you're encountering?
1: Some of our bigger challenges are brokers. It's difficult to get brokers sometimes to want to move the needle. It's not uncommon for us to get a request for a reduction in two to three percent off of the specific deductible premium, yet the broker is unwilling to make plan document changes, implement programs like Casey's, where We can move the needle on the spend, right? And if your attachment points 3 million, 2 or 3% of that versus 2 or 3% of five hundred thousand on the stop loss premium is dramatic. That impacts the employer and the employee out of pockets, the dollars they're actually spending. But this is common. We've been dealing with this year over year for the last 20 plus years. I've been an underwriter. We need to do something different. We also know that we have patients, certain industries male-dominated, heavily union, some of those are slow to change. They like their plan designed the way it is. Don't bother me with making me get healthy. (laughs) To to Casey's point, you get the spouse in the room, and it's a different discussion. That's really important for us to overcome some of the challenges with certain patient populations. Get the family engaged, and Casey's team will do that. and Talk about the transplants some other major events in life. Um, her team will even reach out and speak with the family because the family is that support unit for recovery, right? And ma- maintenance and compliance with that treatment protocol. Those are all super important. Otherwise, the stop loss guy, I can tell you, I'm going to give you a discount. I may end up paying for it dearly in the end, right? If, if we don't get a compliant group. But these are things that we track with Casey's team and with the TPAs and the reporting platforms to make sure that we have that engagement. If not, we take a step back we sit down and try and figure out another way to engage these kinds of patient populations that would be our challenge as a stop loss partner.
0: So maybe let's drill down into this. What steps are you recommending for the TPAs to take or the brokers who are like listening to this today or even the employers?
1: I would say to start with an evaluation of your claims data. TPAs do a great job. There are a number of platforms that they operate on and they can drill down into the analytics of claims and utilization by disease state, by setting very easily. Then they need to start looking at what can they do differently on those outlier disease states or high dollar claims. For example, cancer today is considered a chronic disease. That's remarkable. It's no longer a death sentence. Right, so these are high dollar disease states costing half a million to $700,000 a year or sometimes two or three years in a row if, if it doesn't stay in remission, right? But you start to analyze your plan document. What can we do differently in our plan document? Now, our, move, our level funded health plan doesn't start with the $5,000 deductibles that, that Casey was talking about, although we see 5,000 and higher deductibles all the time, which is unfortunate. We've started actually at $250 deductible. We don't want a class of insurance poor in this country. It's unfair and unsustainable. We need to make access to healthcare affordable. Mm -hmm. We do that by changing the plan document with the employer and the broker and the TPA. Strange for a stop loss organization to get involved at that level, but we know that if we can change the language and the provisions and get the right tools and partners in place, that we can stabilize long-term costs and improve patient outcome and treatment. That should be our goal. Anything short of that as an industry, we failed.
0: Kind of reviewing reviewing the data, reviewing the plan design, and then kind of making these changes. Casey, any other steps you recommend?
2: Looking at the data of the group and then kind of deciding on an action plan and some targeted approaches that you can take over the course of the next 12 months you're not going to cure somebody's type 1 diabetes. But if you have a cohort that has an A1C that's running 10 to 12, maybe you can do some and, and implement some plan design changes that would encourage and incentivize those folks to running with an A1C that's maybe one or two points lower. And the American heart disease and the American of diabetes, they both will tell you that the cardiac burden decreases as your A1C decreases. So if we can get your hemoglobin A1C lower, the likelihood of you having a heart attack goes down drastically. Folks just don't either know that or they don't quite understand how to change or they're not incentivized enough to change. So I think that looking at the data to try to establish action items for the coming year is huge. The nurses also keep track of any potential plan design changes at renewal that they can discuss with the advisor. So things that they've encountered with members. So maybe it's the way that the current prescription plan is structured, makes some of those prescriptions unaffordable. And so they'll write down some of the classes of medications that they've been struggling to get. Unfortunately, a lot of medications that are out there, there isn't a copay assistance card. And if somebody doesn't qualify for a patient assistance program or one isn't available to them, it really puts them in a pickle. recently had that with somebody that needed an anti-seizure medication for their child. So yes. trying to navigate that. And those are things that would never typically make it back to the advisor or to the plan. So things like that, I think, are huge.
0: This is great. I think so for our listeners Analyze your data, understand where you can make your plan design changes, start to kind of use that upcoming enrollment to educate whether it's the employer or the member population. So this is fantastic. If our listeners want a free consulting on plan design from either of you, how should they reach out to you?
2: So folks can either email me or call me. My email address is casey at mynursenavigators.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, either way. Are you offering um, some free consulting?
1: Oh, absolutely. We'd love to talk to brokers, TPAs, and employers. Just again, moving the needle in the right direction. I can be contacted at Jay Youngs at prodigystoploss.com. I, I love this so much. I want people to reach out, right? Or again, as Casey mentioned, I can be contacted through LinkedIn as well.
0: Wonderful. I really thank both of you for your insights. You have tremendous experience in this space. Some great nuggets of aha here. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank
2: you. Thank you, Ramesh.
0: Please join again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self Funding. Please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people. And tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar of Zaki Point Health.